everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the CEO, President, and Founder of GSD Get You Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart of Silicon Valley. Today, we focus a lot on generative AI. We've been in AI for 26 years, myself, with 17 companies. Uh, we love unicorns. We built several of them, and we love making the world a bet better place. So today I'd like to introduce my incredible guest, Gina Echiona, who is a lawyer, who is a legal and business strategist, who is an arbitrator and a mediator, and uh, a, currently lives in Madrid, but uh, originally from Latin America. So we're going to talk about uh, strategic advantage. We're going to talk about uh, what's happening in Spain. We're going to talk about her own experience and growing startups. With that, I'd like to bring Gina on board. Hi, Gina. How are you today? Hi, Gary. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you today, too. So I got a question for you. What's I know you were telling me earlier that the temperatures, that it's really warm there. What, what's going <laughs> on? Well, global change. Uh, we ha we're having a really, really hot summer here in Spain. I 42 degrees Celsius. <laughs> wow. And can you go outside during the daytime when it's that hot, Gina? Well, um, I, I was born in Barranquilla, Colombia. So I'm used to tropical climates, so Caribbean climate, but I miss the beach, of course. <laughs> so uh -huh. so, this so is a, it's a little bit hot during the daytime. Do people stay in and then go out at night? Yes, yes, usually it's that way. And a lot of air conditioning. So now energy is more valuable. So there's a lot of startups regarding uh, energy optimization, et cetera, here in Europe. Interesting. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about strategic, tr strategic leadership as a competitive advantage. So what is, you know, let's go into it a little bit. You've been, you know, you've, you're a lawyer, you've built, uh, you've been involved in a number of different startups. So mm -hmm. if you look at it. What is, how does this, um, how does strategic leadership and AI startups leverage IP uh, for competitive advantage in, in different types of domains? Well, uh, I'm a lawyer, but I'm also an entrepreneur. So my background is uh, like 15 years of legal and strategy advice. But then I was an entrepreneur by myself here in Europe. So I have to develop a lot of soft skills and I have to train also a lot of companies into soft skills. So this is uh, why I combined leadership and all the soft skills with technical matters such as IP. That is my core and hard uh, knowledge. Um, and IP at the end is the materialization of innovation, right? So it's the way in which innovation um, becomes a real asset, like intangible assets, patents, trademarks, uh, trade secrets, copyrights. So it's the way to uh, make innovation uh, real and to and through the the right strategy, IP strategy, you can create a portfolio and that portfolio adds value to your company uh, if it is well um, protected. And if you do licensing and if you're able to leverage your IP, so there's a lot of strategy, not only legal protection is one thing, 
that is what I did when I was just a lawyer. <laughs> um, like law firms focus re regularly just in IP protection, but they don't do business development and strategy. So uh, since my early stage, I did law and business. Um, I created a recording label when iTunes was just starting. So, recording? yes, yes. Like it was my first venture. You know, well, I. Yes. That's interesting. So, what kind of recording label was it? Well, first, the story is very, very interesting because this happened when, you know, peer to peer, BitTorrent, uh, Napster, Casa. Um, it was uh, when iTunes one was emerging. You remember we had the MP3 players that that they were competition of the iPod. Oh so yeah, many got it. Seems like uh, centuries ago now, doesn't centuries it? Centuries ago, it was early two thousands. Um, so I did my thesis to graduate as a lawyer on how to create a a legal business model regarding music on the internet. It was when when Napster uh, crashed, when Casa was banned due to legal issues because it died due to legal issues, Casa, um, because it was not like um, a legal exchange of music, right? So I combined law and business since my early, early uh, times in law school. I almost couldn't graduate from law for this because my professor said that this was a business thesis, not a legal business, a legal thesis. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of technology. I taught, I researched a lot about simulcasting, webcasting, and it was 2003, you know? So I always combined like law, technology, and business. I'm a very creative person. So I took this thesis and I started doing like a recording company with a music producer. Like he, he had the talent and he knew the business from the artistic side. And I knew the business from the legal and the business model. But when we started doing this, like in Colombia, all of the big uh, corporate um, recording companies like Warner Music, Emmy Music, they were closing their offices. They were sublenting their offices, like almost like co-working spaces or something like this, because they were crashed due to the internet. You know, they started feeling. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah, so I started doing like interviews to the manager, general managers of Sony Music Latin America, all of these people like in the big industry with big egos, blah, blah, blah. And I asked them, okay, what will happen if instead of the CD, you sell just the song? You know, Spotify, of course, didn't exist at all, <laughs> at all. And they told me that won't happen. Like, it will be the same. Just divide their 12 songs in a CD, divide it, and that's it. And I was, no, you, you will, if you sell it through the internet, you will take off all the intermediaries where there's a lot, a lot of intermediaries in that industry. Right. And I went to the radio and I asked them, oh, uh, what will happen when radio is on the internet? And they told me that will never happen. Like you're crazy, you know? We have the power to say which songs are played. Um, so 
then I saw how how these big industries were going from the country. So it was a very visionary, um, uh, premonitory, a little bit premonitory of where where the things were going. And this was the industry that the first industry that was crashed or transformed uh, because of innovation and the internet. And this is why I also like I became a big fan of Steve Jobs because he was able to to look ahead first with the iPod and then transform the iPod into in, until our, our iPhones, right? So that's why since since th those moments I said, okay, I need to put all this knowledge into business. So we started uh, growing the company. Um, all the all the decisions were made by me because my the the founder, the one who was financing the company, he was a musician. So I had like to to make all the, the hard decisions. And we got two artists uh, winning Grammys and Latin Grammys. So I did a lot of negotiations with um, advertisement companies in the U.S. We synchronized some um, songs for FIFA, um, for the video games in FIFA, and also for uh, advertisement in McDonald's. So it became like a big success. And after that, I said, okay, I love law, but I love doing business based on IP. Right. So I started on this. I, I um, created several of them and that including a TV show that I did all the fundraising, you know, oh, it's been interesting. Yes. What yes. kind of TV show was it? It was I talked about entrepreneurship, uh, startup funding, legal advice, like all the entrepreneurial ecosystem and I did interviews so my first the first person I interviewed was Martin Lund who was the first Skype investor that he was in Colombia like because he was invited by some big entity so I just grabbed him and it was like like let, let's do this interview so I started into the ecosystem uh, very early I started interviewing people that went to um, big events that they were doing in Colombia. Like, um, I remember uh, a guy that that now is very, very famous in Harvard University. Tal, I, I don't remember his name, but uh, he he created this uh, subject about happiness. He's he's very famous now in Harvard and. A, a, an expert in Internet of Things, an expert in crowdfunding, and this was 2014. Wow. So, yes, it was like, and after that, I said, okay, I want to do something more than a TV show, and I want to be like a, a lawyer with a, an accredited uh, master's in business. So mm -hmm. I came to Europe to study a master's in entrepreneurship and innovation, to have the official title and start here my life as an entrepreneur. That's and was that Professor Arthur Brooks? No, I will no. tell you it's he has like a Arab name. I have him in, on LinkedIn. Oh, okay, that yeah, be interesting. Al, Al -Hal? 
um, happiness theory. I, I, I interviewed a lot of interesting people, you know, I have them, everyone on LinkedIn, but I'll have something. Yeah, you have to, um, you have to get that. That would be interesting for my audience to take a look at. So now you don't yes. have to do it now, but later we can send yes, it. Yes, so yes. That must have been interesting talk. What did he say? Tal, about Tal, Tal Ben Shahar. Tal Ben Shahar. So remember that, everybody. Tal Ben Shahar. Yes. So what did he tell you about happiness, Gina? For me or for or his theory? When we talked to him, what, what did he what did you talk about happiness? Well, it was like the psychology behind happiness, not just like like the shallow, uh, but like the theory that happiness brings success, you know, and I, I am truly um, I truly um, um, like took that advice into myself because yeah. I think energy and good vibes, you know, you want to make business with people that are happy and that are resilient and that you, you enjoy time with. And I also remember the interview I did to Morten Lund because he's a friend of, um, well, he knows, uh, Closely, or yes, they are related to to Richard Branson, who is my hero. And I asked him, like, what advice or, or what tip do you guys have, like, to do business? And he said, like, have fun. It's it's good to do business with people. You're able to have fun because, of course, entrepreneurship is hard. You have to. It's like like this. You have to survive the valley of death. But it's nice to share with people. You can talk and and build each other, you know, and do teamwork. I think that's very important. Well, teamwork is important. Having fun and then having the right kind of people around you, you can laugh and enjoy. It's really important. And so, you know, when you went over, so what? When you came to Colombia, was it much of a shock culturally, or was it? Did it feel comfortable? No. Well. Um, I've, I have studied in Argentina. I have studied in, in Sweden. I have lived in Africa. So a little bit, I, I had like a global mentality. Um, it was for me, I also live in the Netherlands. So for me, that was a shocking culture, but Spain, no. Like, Why was the Netherlands shocking? Well, the cultural differences there, I felt way Latin, <laughs> For example, like all the time it was gray. I missed the sun 200%. And also like for me, like I miss so much like the sun and being the hospitality of Latin America and all of this. So to compensate the lack of sun and the warmness like of the people, I put makeup and I was smiling, you know, all the time like this. And people saw me like, why is she happy? What did she have? She's not seeing the climate, the weather, you know, it's rainy. So for me, that was a little bit um, tough. Spain was like coming home, really. Um, I have a heritage, like Spanish uh, tradition from my father's side. And, you know, Colombia was colonized by Spain. So we have like a heritage. Um, so it was like, coming home. I didn't feel any, any culture barrier. 
sound like you're coming home. Now, what about the weather? Now, I know you were you said about the the climate down in Colombia, but you also said it was like 42 degrees. Like, but did, did you in Colombia? Do you stay away from the daytime and not walk around? Like, I know when I was in Madrid, right? People were like, I was surprised to see people at nighttime walking around like it was daytime, like till 10 or 11 or 12 at night. Well, in Colombia, usually you have more air conditioning, a lot of more air conditioning, more infrastructure for, for hotness. So even though like Barranquilla is the whole year, 36 degrees the whole year. <laughs> so we are in summer the whole year, but everything is with air conditioning. So and you don't walk that much as in Europe. Right. So here in Europe, you're used to walk like it's like the lifestyle. But there you're not used to walk, so you, you, you can capture the difference that way. And, well, I lived in Bogota a lot of time, which is winter the whole year. Winter? <laughs> All the year, yes, because it's in a mountain. Really? Now, how was that after being in the, near the beach? How was it living in the wintertime? Well, I, I developed the sense of and valuing the mountains and the green, you know, so I think it was a cultural shock, even in the same country, because people from the mountain and from the coast are really different, really, really different in like um, being spontaneous. So being from the coast gives you that spontaneous, spontaneous, well, uh-huh. Then someone who capitalized that very well was Sofia Vergara. She's from my hometown. So she captured that, you know, that vibe or being spontaneous and funny, blah, blah, blah. Um, and in Bogota, people are like more stuff and, you know, direct and which is really good for business. So I think it was a good combination at the end of the day. Wow, that's interesting. That's mm -hmm. interesting. So what's the startup scene now like in uh, in Spain and, and the region? How is well, it? Well, before before the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of investment in like soft technology, like a lot of money to VCs for, for to invest in that. But after the pandemic, like not only in Spain but in Europe in general, people are thinking more about deep technology, uh, things that uh, can change the future, like you know more more social impact investment. I think there was a lot of money buried, you know, in a lot of soft technology that after the pandemic, we saw like how, where the money should go, <laughs> like prioritization, prioritization. Yes. So uh, the ecosystem is changing a lot. Um, so deep technology is more into IP. So there's a more demand of uh, technological knowledge and patents and not only patents, but the strategy itself and how to determine when you you're discovering a patent or a trade secret and which way to go, you know. So there's a lot of things going on here. Like uh, Spain has like a um, uh, country strategy on enforcing their ecosystem which it's going really good and so what would you advise for somebody that's interested in the spanish market so where would be the best city for them to check out let's just say they're a startup from other parts of europe what what city is the best 
Well, you know, the leadership was Barcelona, right? But now uh, Madrid is uh, like since the last five years, it's gaining a lot of, uh, of power, you know, in the ecosystem. So both of them are really interesting. They're getting a lot of power. Interesting. And, it's, you know, we're starting to see more startups from Spain. Um, so if you look at it, what about the so we go back to the funding? What about the funding levels? You were saying, is it down now or is it just refocused on things like generative AI? I think it's refocused and also it's now a lot of a combination of public and private funding, mm -hmm. you know, like in comparison to, to the U.S., here, like public funding, it's very important, like on the early stage, like the European Commission is always supportive, blah, blah, blah. Like in the U.S. is more like the first funding comes more from universities, right? Here is more like from the public sector, like um, European Commission distributes this funding through their um, the, the countries that belong to the union. So it's a mix of public and private funding. And so why do, who gets the money then? Let's say the public funds it. What happens if there's success? Does it go back into the pool of the fund of the state or how does it work? No, well, some of them are for free. Really? So why do they do it? Just to create jobs or what, what's the deal? Yes, to create jobs and to, and to you know, this um, main aim of the European Commission of building a better world, you know. No, that's great. Yes. So what, do you, what do you do for fun over there, Gina? Because I see your pictures every once in a while. With <laughs> well, but what do you do for fun? Well, I love to do hiking, to go on a hike. I love nature, so I think it's a good way to connect with yourself and to to create more ideas. I also love to go to museums here in in Madrid. You have a lot of art, so I am I'm a big fan of creativity. So it's a way to incentive your creativity, and I also go to restaurants because Madrid every every month there is a new restaurant like a fashionable restaurants and and uh, uh, places to go so it's a really really nice city to enjoy and basically that and go to the gym and you know regular stuff live music which I love also everything that has to do with arts I'm there theater or going to the movies or what about places like Portugal? How are they? Because I start to hear about startups coming out of Portugal. What's happening there? Well, you know, Portugal was like uh, in a crisis, but now they're really, really strong. Um, a lot of startups, like in, they have an international vision, right? Um, there's a different, big difference between Portugal and Spain. Spain is very Spanish, which is really nice, but uh, I think Portugal is way more international. Mm -hmm. um, just speaking about their bi more bilingual, right? Um, so they Portuguese and English is like you went you went on a taxi and the taxi driver had like English music. Here in Spain, that's not that common, right? Because of the of the um, Franco dictatorship, he forbidden 
people to learn a lot of another language. So there's a heritage. Really? He, for, he yeah. forbid them for learning languages? Yes, yes, yes. That's unbelievable. That's kind of spooky. Yes. That sounds dictatorial, doesn't it? Yes. You know, like uh, leaders, like talking about leadership, the consequences of leadership, you know, there's always a consequence in good or bad or any decision of a leader. Um, let's not talk about Venezuela, <laughs> but um, leadership, it's an issue in, in, in life. So, yes, the ecosystem in, in Portugal is, is very international. It's like Lisbon and Porto. Things are, are moving really, really good there. No, that's great. So we're coming up to the top of the show. Closing thoughts, Gina, and how do people get a hold of you? Well, um, my email is gina at emprendeconmigo.com. So every startup needs an IP strategy. You know, IPs are the main assets in which a company, uh, early stage or growth stage is based on. So corporates know this. It's good for startups and scale-ups to protect and to define a strategy to leverage their IP assets. No, that's very good. No, I agree with you. And um, so any other closing thoughts? Let's do stuff, Gary. Yeah, let's go. Get shit done. That's right. Let's go get shit done. Well, to all of my audience out there, I want to thank you one more time for joining GSD presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm your host. Check out our website. We've got uh, quite a few articles out there and specifically dealing with startups going global. Stay happy, stay safe, and stay healthy. And I'll be back to you again next week for another edition of GSD presents. Gina, thanks for your time. You're looking wonderful you, as ever. It's great to see you. Great to talk to you. And let's keep in touch. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, and thanks for joining us one more time. Thank you. Thank you.